Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hello. Hello. Father Nathan sitting down. Welcome to the podcast. This is Father Michael O'Loughlin, along with Father Nathan Goble. Greetings. Greetings. First, shout out to what we're drinking. What he's drinking. What? Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> Um, I am drinking Cleveland bourbon whiskey, limited production, black reserve, finished with an oxygen enriched accelerated process, 100 proof batch number nine bourbon, bourbon, bourbon. It's actually just, um, it's just runoff from the, from the power plant in Cleveland. Scuba tour right out of the lake. Just right. Yummy. No, actually I've already tried it. It's wonderful. This was given to me by a new friend. Anybody who loves people I love is a friend of mine. So uh, Bob Haig and his brand new fiance, Angela Kletlinger, or Kletlinger, I need to ask how to pronounce that, gave me whiskey when I went to go visit my girls out at Christ the Bridegroom and uh, handed <laughs> my it girls. off my girls and uh, <clears throat> wanted to uh, have how? Father Nathan and I drink it. So I'm enjoying it. Why aren't you enjoying how it? How did they meet you? How'd they meet me? Yeah. I don't know. Supposedly they... When I did the shout out about Christ's bridegroom, they went and asked the, the nuns if uh, if there's any way they can meet me or something like that. I don't know. Really? But they're good people. You oh, know. They showed they... up and they brought me bourbon and we had dinner together. Did they know that Christ the bridegroom was right in Cleveland? They did because I don't, I believe, I didn't get the whole story, but I think that Angela and Sister Gabriella go way back. Okay. And probably Sister Cecilia too because Sister Cecilia and Sister Gabriella were, were close friends from when they were young. Mm-hmm. And now they're friends forever. And a friend's a friend forever, if the Lord's the Lord of them. Do you know that song? I don't. But what? Do, 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 you, do your Byzantine life team again. That, that was, was hilarious a second ago. That was, that was <laughs> Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, my mom used to listen to that whenever she was vacuuming. I grew up on, I grew up on oldies. I grew up on the Beatles and Rolling Stones and all the rest. I, I never got Michael any, like, W. Smith rock. is the oldies. No, yeah. Yeah, he was pretty <laughs> hip at the time. Yeah, the... Uh, well, because I asked, I asked Michael, <laughs> Father Michael, about the how do you say it? Cherubic, cherubic hymn, cherubic yeah. hymn, uh, like when it was in the in the liturgy, <laughs> and he explained it to me. But he did it, you know. And then I started singing it, and then I always like to tweak things. And since I'm at a life team parish, like I I usually tend towards that. So then it was like. Let us lift up our hearts. <laughs> we lift them up to the Lord. Yeah, which is not how oh, we. That's so horrible. It's not, how, it's not how we do it. It's not how we do it. So only this on the is, podcast. You're never gonna be able to do a Byzantine liturgy again with me. <laughs> yeah, just do that once. <laughs> oh, don't let the door. Yeah. So. Father uh, Michael is drinking Cleveland bourbon, and I'm drinking a 7-Up. Um, and the reason being is because um, I have been bitten by the food poisoning bug at my favorite restaurant. One of my favorite restaurants. So uh, We have narrowed it down. The likelihood is that the culprit is the grilled chicken sandwich at Chick-fil-A. That's right, folks. You were trying to be healthy, and you were my healthy. you were my betrayer. <laughs> close at hand, close at enough for Chick-fil-A. a kiss. Chick Fil A. That's right. So, yeah, uh, the pastor and the business manager were going out for lunch, 
and they said, hey, do you want us to pick you up anything? I said, sure. And I was going to go to my normal order, which is always deep fried to perfection, <laughs> um, the, the regular chicken sandwich or the chicken strips. But instead, they were like, yeah, we usually get the chicken, grilled chicken. And I was like, oh, I see those billboards. I'll give it a shot. And then, bam, food poisoning. Mm. Which, um, shout out to uh, uh, Moran, because he's the one that said that uh, the frosted lemonade at Chick-fil-A was amazing after I dogged it. So other people are going to write in and they're going to be like, oh, the grilled chicken sandwich is awesome. And I'm like, yes, it is awesome. It's not awesome coming up. <laughs> Have a nice day. Tasted better on the way down. <clears throat> Pretty much. It was good. It Ugh. just and it lacked it lacked something. So now I'm having a seven up. I've had Ritz crackers, ginger ale, now moving up in the world. Seven nice. up. I was say ginger ale. I've heard. I'd never heard about seven up, but I could see how that would be <sighs> more settling than Cleveland Scotch or Cleveland uh, bourbon. Cleveland bourbon. Cleveland bourbon. All right. Um, so I've gotten a lot of requests for this, and uh, even without my my Byzantine nation flag behind my head, it's I'm true. Go ahead and we're talk still waiting about, on yeah, it. I know. I was actually thinking about that this morning. I need to get the time to go buy one <clears throat> anyway um so a podcast on the eastern catholic churches um which i belong to one of those the particular ruthenian byzantine catholic church um so the the big the big thing i want you guys to take from this is the difference between the word right and the word church because that's a big thing hmm. people say you know the byzantine right and the byzantine church are actually two different things okay. um so the right is like comes from a ritual so within the Catholic communion of churches, so real quick history, start out, Jesus Christ tells the apostles, go to the four corners of the world, go everywhere, spread my gospel, baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, et cetera, everywhere. So uh, they just walked, of course, and, and some walked north, and they ended up in the big city of Antioch in modern-day Syria. Some walked south, they ended up in the big city of Alexandria in modern-day uh, Egypt. And then some were put on a boat unwillingly, <laughs> namely Peter and Paul, and were shipped out to Rome, oh. which is where they died. And so we yeah. had in the beginning, and of course the people of Rome, Paul had already written letters to Rome, etc. The the Christian populations in these four major cities, Jerusalem, of course, where Jesus was, Antioch, Syria, Alexandria, Egypt, and Rome in modern-day Italy, they were the hubs of the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. uh, about 300 years later, when Constantine being as humble as he was, moved the Roman Empire, the heart of it, to this little city called Byzantium, a sleepy little fishing town called Byzantium, uh, changed the name to Constantinople, named it after himself, and then that, of course, became uh, the, the big seat of the Byzantine Empire, now called Istanbul in modern-day Turkey, um, which is an awesome place. I was there a few months ago. A great place. So these were the, the original five hubs of Christianity. Um, Jerusalem, Antioch, Alexandria, Rome, and Constantinople. Um, each of those city and those hubs developed in a sense, since the Bible does not tell us how to say the mass, the divine liturgy, they developed ways of, of worshiping God, participating in the Eucharistic celebration, hearing the word of God, gathering as a community, etc. So they did this in, the, in these five hubs. From those five hubs, then we developed rit rituals, so ways of celebrating the Eucharistic liturgy. The basics was there. The basis is even in the scriptures, right? Hearing the word of God, we, we also got from the Jewish tradition. Hear the word of God, celebrate a meal, gather, etc. So hmm. out of these five places, and, and Jerusalem <coughs> fell, Jerusalem ended up adopting one of the other ones. But out of these five, 
now, 2,000 years later, we have, and we've been continuing this tradition for a, a very long time, 2,000 years nearly, um, we have these six different rites. So within the communion of the Catholic Church, there are our six different main rites. There are other rites that come underneath this. Six main rites. Six main rites, R-I-T-E-S, rites. Okay. So these are, these are six different main ways of celebrating the Eucharistic celebration, which is our response to... Our Lord asking us at his Eucharistic celebration, go and do this in memory of me. Okay. So six different ways of doing this. Um, there's, of course, the Latin or the Roman rite, which most people know. You have out of Syria, um, that's, of course, out of Rome, out of Syria, when they went north, you have the East Syrian and the West Syrian rites. Those are two different rites developed out of Syria, because Syria is, of course, this massive uh, Christian community in the early church. Many people went there. You have the Alexandrian rite when they, for those who went south. You have the the Armenian rite, which developed. Um, some would say out of the uh, out of the Byzantine. Um, others might say out of out of Alexandria. Although the Byzantine, in a sense, developed out of Alexandria as well. And then you have the Byzantine or the Constantinopolitan. So this the uh, the six are. You have the Roman or the Latin, East Syrian, West Syrian, Alexandrian, Armenian, and Byzantine. You're Those, you're leaving out you're leaving out Lifetine. <laughs> That's a right. <laughs> the uh, liturgical dance of whoever the pastor yeah, the, is and the, whatever he wants. The guitar mass <laughs> pre nineteen seventies. You know the, the clown mass. I've the clown seen mass videos of. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I, I, I won't. I won't mention people. which one of those six. That, Don't give me food poisoning again. <laughs> Those developed. Don't make me sick. All right. Um, so out of these six rites, now you have churches that develop. So you have the one universal Catholic church that 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 is. You know, it, it, you don't want to call this Roman Catholic because that refers to the right. what the Roman part of it. But you have the universal Catholic church, all in communion with each other and under the moral authority of the Holy Father, the yes. Pope of Rome. Wait, um, can I ask a question? Yes. Um, where do patriarchates? fit in with this patriarch dates the original ones were those five so well i, I take that really? back we're, we're yes so the original five patriarchates were the first five well, cities hubs or cities of christianity exactly. so then so then uh, but out of all of those because most of them have uh their own right attached to it Correct. how did the armenians get their own right uh and not have a patriarchate right well the armenians <laughs> developed their own right out of similar to the other rites, but it, over time it developed into its own. Huh. But the Armenians have always been extremely strong Christians. So so the Armenians, in a sense, were geographically different, you know, because Armenia is kind of in between, you might say, Syria and, and Constantinople as far as those two rites go. But they developed their own. I actually went to my first um, Armenian rite, Divine Liturgy, when I was in Turkey just recently, I, I went to, it was, it was, it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. And I, I could see the similarities to the other Eastern rites, but, but also the difference. The viewers did, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if you look at a map and, okay. you, and you look at these first, so there's six rites developed from five different hubs. The five different hubs were Jerusalem, Rome, Antioch, Alexandria, and Constantinople. Now, if you look at a map and see geographically where those five are, you'll see that all of them, the four except Rome, are pretty geographically close to each other. Then you have Rome. Rome is is over in Italy. And then you have the other four over, of course, east of them. Just I, I'm I'm not hearing it the same. Yeah, I turned down the headphones. Oh, you turned down the headphones. Okay, it's really <laughs> am I too loud. loud, Father Nathan? <laughs> well, it was just it was just kind of loud, and I and I it's because the the microphone had the microphone cord had kind uh, of 
grabbed it and it sounded so much less okay never mind i'm good i'm good all right moving on i want to hear you i know i just afraid you turn it off or something shut up okay don't talk anymore no no i'm good i'm good Good. All right. Excellent. Back at it. Uh, Jerusalem, out of these five hubs of Christianity, Jerusalem, Rome, Antioch, Alexandria, Constantinople, came these six different rites um, that developed because Jerusalem did not have its own rite. Um, the Armenians have their own rite, and then you have East and West Syrian. Okay. So you have the Universal Catholic Church. You have then these. The church expresses itself through six different rites or six different rituals, six different ways of praying the Eucharistic celebration, whether it's the Mass or the Divine Liturgy. Underneath those six different rites, you have 23 different Catholic churches. 23 23 different Catholic churches. Now, each of those churches follows one of those six rites. So, in other words, the rite is just the way of celebrating the Eucharistic celebration. yes. But underneath that, you have geographical churches that originally started by being geographical. So you have, um, for instance, underneath the the East Syrian rite, you have the Chaldean Church, which is mostly in Iraq, yes. and the Syro-Malabar Church, which is mostly in India. So yeah. you have these geographical churches. So what identifies a church as a church is that they have their own bishop, primarily their own bishop. So, for instance, like here in Denver, we have, of course, the, the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Denver. We also have my eparchy or my diocese is the eparchy of Phoenix for the Byzantine Ruthenians. That overflows, and so we have an overlapping of bishops' authority over geographical area. That's kind of unique to the United States, though, because we're such a melting pot and so diverse. You also have the Ukrainian. We have a Ukrainian parish here in Denver. Um, their bishop is in Chicago. You have the Romanian also. We don't have a Romanian church here in Denver, mm-hmm. but there's a Romanian diocese that, that covers this area as well. They're out of Ohio, etc. So you have each bishop— if, if you have a bishop is the head of his own church, so a church identifies itself by the bishop that leads it. Now, that bishop can can change small things within the right. He can say, oh, we're adding a saint. For instance, our metropolitan back in the day said that we are now going to celebrate Our Lady of Guadalupe here in the United States. So, obviously, Guadalupe has, Our Lady of Guadalupe has been a, a Roman rite celebration for, for a while. Uh-huh. Now, we also celebrate her explicitly. She's on our calendar in the... Byzantine Rite Ruthenian Church, which is in the is which is in the Byzantine Rite. Quick note: my Ruthenian my Ruthenian Church of the Byzantine Rite. We Ruthenian is such kind of a vague term for us. It refers to the Carpatho Rusin Mountains um, that we start calling ourselves the Byzantine Church. We just wanted to confuse people, so we are the Byzantine Church of the Byzantine Rite of the Catholic Universal Church. So you, you, you kind of have this okay. this flow chart. As you can see, you have Universal Church, six different rites underneath those 23 different churches. Okay. So for instance, under the Roman rite, there is really only one church. This is kind of confused things because in that one Roman Catholic church, there are actually various rites within it, which is gets very confusing. There's the Ambrosian rite, the Mozarabic rite, the Gallican rite, the Dominican rite, etc. You rarely see these anymore. Then you also have, of course, the ordinary form and the extraordinary form of the Roman rite. Yes. So it, it gets confusing within, within the Roman uh, rite <coughs> of the one Roman Catholic church. Um, West Syrian, you have the Maronite Church, which actually never left. I'll go through the history in a second. The Maronite Church never left the Catholic Communion. You have the Syro-Malankar Church. Um, the Maronite Church is in Syria and Lebanon mostly. Syro-Malankar is also in India. So you have two main churches in India. The Syro-Malankar and the Syro-Malabar both come from different rites, different churches and different rites. I love Malabars. I've never experienced one. Really? Yeah. You can get them at Cabela's. 
It's just like it's like chocolate. It's like chocolate, marshmallows, and graham crackers. Glad we're staying on point, Father Nathan. Sorry, what, what is it? Mal? They're Ma- called they're called mallow bars. Oh, mallow bars. Yeah, cereal mallow bars. <laughs> the cereal variety. Amen. There's uh, a bunch uh, of Indians right now that's really upset with us. <laughs> Whatever. Father Nathan Goble at gmail dot com for your complaints. Good luck. Leave me out of this. All right. Um, Alexandrian, you have the Coptic Church and the Ethiopian Church. Armenian, you have the Armenian Church. And then the largest diversity with the, of churches within a rite is the Byzantine Rite. And then you have the various uh, Byzantine churches. You have the Romanian Church, Ruthenian Church, which I belong to, Ukrainian Church, Melchite Church, etc. But within all of those rites, 23 different churches. Huh. So this is this is what I what I want people to say. So if they if they say, "Do you belong to the Byzantine Rite?" Yes. Do you belong to the Byzantine Church? Yes. But do you know the difference? So it doesn't help that I'm Byzantine both. But if if you go to Ukrainian and yes. you say, "Do you belong to the Byzantine Church?" He would say, "No." No. I belong to the Byzantine Rite because we celebrate the Divine Liturgy of Saint John Chrysostom, uh-huh. which is the version of the Eucharistic celebration we primarily celebrate. But he would not be part of the Byzantine Church, which I am, because we have different bishops and therefore different churches. So Maronites celebrate Maronites celebrate the the West Syrian Rite. So the West Syrian Rite, but they're the Maronite Church. Exactly. There's not a Maronite Rite. Cor- uh, correct, in general. So, yeah, of course, you're going to get slightly different adaptations of the rite between, like, the Maronites and Syro-Malankars. And the, even though they're both West Syrian, the liturgies are going to look slightly different. That's just because the the, the, geograph, the geography is so separate. You have one in Lebanon and Syria. You have the other one in India. Mm-hmm. So this is actually what this kind of disparity of ritual and disparity of, of traditions is what separated the churches, the Orthodox and the Catholic Church. Okay. So what happened was is uh, when when the, the Western, the, the Latin rite began developing in Italy, and then these other rites began developing far east of Italy, um, the ones who were closer together, so the ones based in, in Antioch, in Jerusalem, in, in uh, Alexandria, etc., those ones developed similar with each other because they were closer geographically. They didn't have, of course, telephones, they didn't have Twitter, they didn't have any of those things to kind of say, here's what we're doing and share their ideas. Yeah. So if they were closer, so they did. If they weren't geographically close, they didn't. So you had, you know, over time, you had hundreds of years where all this just, just all worked out. They didn't. They weren't exposed to each other much. All of a sudden, you know, within 300 years on either end of the year 1054, we usually give 1054 as the date of the Great Schism, the separation, yeah. the split between the East and the West, the Catholics and the Orthodox. But it was happening long before that, and it was, it was still developing and becoming what it was long after that. Um, so what I'll use for the sake of argument, I'll use the, word, the year 1054. So what happened was is delegates from Rome were sent to Constantinople to kind of check on what was going on in that hub of Christianity, that patriarchate. And when they got there, there was just, I won't go into all the details on the podcast, but there, there was there was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of, of course, pride that went on. There was development of doctrine that was disagreed with, et cetera. So you had pretty much at this point, in essence, the East the Eastern patriarchates excommunicating the Pope in, in Rome and and the, this delegate from the Pope, the Pope had actually already died by the time he got there, so it was illegitimate, but he excommunicated then the patriarch of, of Constantinople. So it was it was a fight over things like do we use leavened bread or unleavened bread? Mm-hmm. Of course, in the in the Roman Church, you use unleavened bread because the Jews did. In the Eastern Church, we use leavened bread because if Christ rose, we rise the bread, etc. It's just 
different developments within yeah. the liturgy, etc. So, and that over the filioque, you know, do we say and the son? That's what filioque is, and the son and the creed. The West added the words and the son to the creed because of various events and needs for clarification that were happening only in the West. Those needs for clarification were not happening in the East, so it was never added in the East. So this became a point of dissension. Um, do we have married priests or not? In the, in the West, they said, no, that was still developing. In the East, they said, yes, we've always had married priests. You know, all these things like this were the disagreements. They excommunicated each other. So then what happened was is about five about 500 years later, for various reasons, some of them political, some of them because the Protestants were moving east at this point, and the Western rites and the Western churches were so they were so scholastic, they were so philosophical. The Eastern churches really weren't that way. So when you had these Protestants who were also very scholastic started moving east, you had the Eastern Christians, the Orthodox churches, the patriarchates, the other four. You had those turning to the Latins to say. We don't have the scholastic vocabulary you do. We, we, don't, we don't function that way. So what do we say to these Protestants who are moving east? And they kind of rebuilt their understanding of, well, we can, we can work together in against, uh, against this common foe, in, yeah. in a sense, as horrible as that sounds. We can do that. And so around that time, different churches, in other words, different bishops, started meeting up with, with Rome and saying, we want to be in communion with each other, but we, we want to keep all of our Eastern traditions. We want our leavened bread. We want the, uh, the creed without the filioque. We want our separate bishops. We want our separate, separate rites. And at that point, the Pope said, sure, like you can keep all those things and still be in full communion with us. And so that's when the various churches in the East began to you know, have re-communion, to, to have full communion with the Church of the West. And that's what I belong to. The Ruthenian Byzantine Catholic Church rejoined Union with Rome in 1646. But there were other, at the Union of Ushodot, but there, there were various unions of when these various churches joined full communion with the Roman Catholic Church. What, what was there like... Because I remember as a kid, the handing over of Hong Kong back to from the British to the Chinese. Was um, there like a super cool event where like they did something spectacular to welcome you back in the church? Or was it like, congratulations, you just signed your Verizon contract for the next... 500 years. Oh, you, you know us. We do everything super cool. I'm sure there were crowns, investments. Really? And, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, the, I've, I've never, I mean, I've read the documents of the Union of Ushodod, but I, I've never read more than the documents. I'm sure there was a a great liturgy a great or something like part. that. Processions and rapidia. And, do you guys, do you guys like celebrate that? Like, is it like an anniversary for you? Probably. Or is it, probably. Here, here in the U.S. has probably fallen <laughs> by the wayside. I wish it hadn't, though. We should yeah. really commend that. Well, I mean, it's, I'll look it up. Yeah. it's just nice, you know, to know. I mean, oh yeah, to remember that. That I great mean, the fact that we don't know it, it's kind of bad too. It's just like, oh yeah, on that day, you know, these guys came back in the family. We remember ten fifty four, but I don't know. Yeah, anything. you know, what? I don't know that's anything right. about the the day that they came back. You know, yeah, that, that's because there were so many different coming back, and that ten fifty four is kind of a cop out too. That that that's not anyway. It's a cop out, not a true folks. date, but it was it was much more drama than that. But you know, it's funny. I just mentioned Rapidia. My my dad. Like when we started going to the Byzantine church when I was 16, 17. Rapidia are fans. Rapidia are these fans that 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 were initially just used to kind of wave to keep 
flies and other flying animals off off the table, the holy table, the altar. Um, but they began to develop the yeah. the symbolism of being angels because if you're kind of waving them over the gifts, and that that's how we envision the angels present at the Eucharist celebration. But my uh, my father, along with all of us, when we were when we you know were attending a Byzantine Catholic church for the first time, um, you know all these Greek and and Slavonic words that were kind of thrown around that we were all trying to memorize. My dad would just call everything Rapidia because that's the one he could remember. So he's like, you know, for the procession, oh, you're going to go put on the Rapidia. Oh, you're going to go walk the Rapidia. Oh, you're going to carry the Rapidia. Are you guys ready to pray Rapidia before dinner? You know, <laughs> it's just like he'd use the word Rapidia for everything. So it was funny. Which church did you go to then? We went to Our Lady of Perpetual Help in Albuquerque. Which is a Which what? is a Ruthenian Byzantine Catholic church. A Ruthenian. That I highly recommend. Yeah. Father Artur is there now. Bovnievich. Great guy. Uh, great pastor. So that's a different... Is that the same rite as you? Yes. The it's, same, it's the same, same rite church. and church. Church, yeah. that's what I mean. Yeah. Same bishop. So our, yeah. our bishops, okay, Bishop yeah. Gerald Dino in Phoenix. Yeah, because yeah. that's the mountains. Ruthenians. Yes, from the Carpath- Carpathian Mountains or Carpathia Rus, yeah. yeah, yeah we're, we're the hillbillies of the See, entire world. Yeah. The Ukrainians uh, are kind of city folk. They know how okay. to do harmony and stuff. Well, the... Wait, who does? The Ukrainians. Oh, yeah? Nice. Yeah. The, um... What was it? The Maronites. They're kind of the hillbillies then of the Western Syrian church, right? I don't know. Well, because they're, like the, they're like up in the mountains. They're up in the, the Lebanese... Right. Like, and right. so, like... The reason, part of the reason why they never left is because they, like, were... Isolated. So isolated, so secluded, and yeah. they were just doing their thing. They also had a lot of, uh, a lot of Maronites were in Italy and, okay. and in Sicily. The same thing where the Italo-Greeks did never left. The Italo-Greeks had, had, had their kind of this, uh, the, 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 um, had a population in southern Italy that, that just remained geographically close, and so the, the church and the right remained present in the West as well for that time. Can I ask a dangerous question? I hope I know the answer. Sure. What, uh, what about the, those cats on Mount Athos? Who are they? So, the, you mean like the Orthodox? So they're Orthodox. Yes. Okay. Um, so are they like distant relatives of a particular Byzantine rite and church? Well, so Mount Athos, just for the listeners, is a peninsula off of Greece that that is traditionally had had hundreds upon hundreds of of, Byzant- of, of Orthodox monks. Yes. there most are of the Byzantine tradition. They might all be. I'm not sure. So okay. within Orthodoxy, they have this same uh, the same uh, where they have rites, and then underneath the rites, they have churches. Yeah, I do know there are certainly monasteries and Manathos that represent different churches. I okay. don't know about different rites. That's a good question. Okay. Yes. But I mean, Manathos has monasteries everywhere. I've actually, it's really cool if you, if you, if you do a Google Maps and go look at Manathos and just see these, they have these tiny little hermitage you, you can find if you're just searching. Then they have these kind of moderate, normal-sized monasteries and they have these massive monasteries too. And, uh, and they've had kind of a, a crazy history there too. I know that some of the monasteries, but not many, are, are, are praying for union with the Catholics, you know, again, um, whereas many are adamantly against it. Hmm. And uh, Patriarch Bartholomew has, has encouraged them to, uh, to at least pray for and, and to work for unity, but many of them are, are you know, utterly rejecting that. So. Okay. But Patriarch Bartholomew is a good guy. I got to hang out with him for a couple hours last month. Yeah, it was it was cool. We 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 arrived late, and the delegation that came before us, we were supposed to get like a twenty minute conversation with him, but the delegation that arrived before us 
went so long that he needed to have lunch. And so he came in and it was just like, you guys want to have lunch with me? And I was like, sure. So me and my, me and my friend, Father Jack Custer went in there and we had lunch with him. And then afterwards he still met with us. So he spent time in his office afterwards. He's funny. He speaks amazing English. He, you know, is very desirous of union too, but he's not going to whitewash anything, um, which is good. It, it was, it was really a, a blessed moment to be able to, to see Patriarch Bartholomew, who's the Patriarch of Constantinople, um, in modern day Turkey and, and see him in his, in his home and his office and how he functions and prays and amazing sense of humor too. Was that, was uh, that was in Turkey? That was in Turkey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In Istanbul. Constantinople. See you and Larkin always were getting on me for that, but the patriarch himself said Istanbul. No, actually you should, you should be going back to Byzantium. The song, <laughs> yeah. the song should be like Istanbul or Byzantium or Constantinople. It doesn't really matter. I'll, I'll pass that along to who, who sings that. Well, they might be giants is the version I know, but I forget who it was before <laughs> that. There was a, there was a version from the fifties, but they might be giants has an awesome version too that that I grew up with. I grew up the, with the they might be giants version. There you go. But there is some some old fifties. Someone okay send it to us. Email to us the name. All right. Uh, do we have time for some quick Byzantine specifics or no? Oh, I listen, dude. That's just your topic. Okay, it's let's kinda, do it. This is kind of your. So that that's the, that's the relatively boring history and the, the specifics of the the rites in the churches, um, but my specific Ruthenian Byzantine Catholic Church and and almost all the the Slav churches that come under the Byzantine rite, the Ukrainians, um, the Russians, etc. We have certain traditions that that are are quite different from the Roman traditions that most listeners would know. So. Um, I just want to go through a few of those that you might be asking about. Um, so we have what we call a three-bar cross. A three-bar cross is is a cross that instead of having the the vertical bar and the horizontal bar that most Christians have as, as the most basic cross, we have three horizontal bars or relatively horizontal bars. This is probably what the cross of Christ looked like if you were looking at it when it, when it was standing up. Um, if you look at, of course, some pious crosses hanging on, the, I'm looking, I'm looking for a cross on the wall here. Instead, I look up at a, 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 a rubber band gun, a rubber band, band gun. rifle hanging Sorry. where the cross should be in the room. <laughs> there, this is Swiss cross right no, by right by me. No we, we need a cross in this room. My gosh. It's true. Yeah. So I'll bring a three bar one. Um, so, so the, the, the three bar cross has, has three horizontal bars instead of one. The top bar, of course, would have been what the person was accused of. This is, is one of the, sh- this is a shorter bar. What yeah. the person so Jesus Christ was accused of of claiming to be the King of the Jews. So Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, is set on the top. Um, the criminals on either side of him probably said thief. You know, this is what. So people, if they saw someone dying, they didn't want to be dying too. They could see what he was accused of, so that they wouldn't do it. That was the idea of having what they were accused of right by there at jaywalking. This guy will suffer for days. So the the middle bar of course the longer one in in our in our byzantine cross the longer one was where the arms were were tied or nailed um that's the the one we usually see in crosses the third one on the bottom is usually at an angle if you're looking at it the 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 it bar angle the bar angles up to the right of christ when he's on it you know up to his right but to our left as we're looking on it and then down to our right um, this third bar represents the footrest. The footrest was given to the worst of the criminals because a footrest meant that you could hold yourself up for longer. The reason why, I hope most people know this, but the reason why, of course, they broke the legs of the criminals before when they discovered Jesus was dead, so they didn't, but they'd break the legs because the whole reason of, of 
you would die on a cross was asphyxiation. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, the weight of your body would literally crush your lungs. So if, if you if you cut if you broke the legs, then you couldn't hold yourself up and you'd die quicker. Um, if you didn't have a foot rest, you, you could last hours just until, until you got so weak because the only thing holding you up was a nail in your feet. Um, and then the foot rest, though, if you nailed a foot rest instead of the cross, you could stay alive for a lot longer. And this, of course, was just torture. Mm-hmm. And so they would give this to the worst criminals. Whether Christ had that or not, um, we, we don't know for sure. But but there was this foot rest that was traditional that the Romans, one of the way they did it. So. And when you look at the cross, though, you see it angling up to Jesus' right because the good thief was on the right. And this is, in a sense, what the cross is for. The good thief entered heaven with Christ, as Christ said he would. Today he will be with me in the kingdom of heaven after asking for it. Um, so what we see on the cross, then, is in the East, we, we also want to make sure that that the greatest of Christianity, which is the cross, has three bars because the Trinity, in a sense, is one way of looking at it. That might be a later later image or, or um Symbol, but you have the three bars so that you can, in a sense, see the Trinity. You see Christ, of course, because he died on it, the sign of our redemption. But you also have the bottom bars. This is an angle, and it shows it, it's it's in an angle because people say various traditions. But one of them is is that Christ wrenched it in his pain. So Christ wrenched the footrest because he was so much pain, but it angles up to the good thief because the good thief will join him in heaven. But we also, of course, put ourselves in the place of the good thief. We mm-hmm. want, even though we're sinners, we want to join Christ in heaven. So we see Jesus Christ in the cross. We see the entire Trinity in the cross. And then we also see ourselves. Our, our Christ, Christ was in pain. He suffered and died for us that we may, like the good thief, also join him in heaven one day. So uh, the the cross, uh, a lot of, of beautiful symbols in, in the three-bar cross. Um, another thing that you'll see, if you go to a Byzantine Catholic church, you'll see that that we we love symbolism. You know, we, we use a lot of incense. There's literally bells on our censers. The the icons, I should do one just on iconography, a podcast, but, but icons are just packed and saturated with symbolism, etc. Um, but you'll see when the priest gives a blessing, hello, loon, uh, when the priest gives a blessing, it, he will, instead of having his hand open, like like in Roman Catholic blessings, um, the priest actually makes the name of Christ, like sign language, makes the name of Christ with his hands. So if you, in the Greek, you have the name of Christ can be abbreviated Iota Sigma Chi Sigma. So that's the first and the last letters of Jesus and the first and the last letters of Christo. So mm-hmm. you have Jesus Christ, the first and the last letters, those four letters, Iota Sigma Chi Sigma, which in Latin letters looks like I-C-X-C. And so I know we're doing audio here, but the priest literally with his right hand makes those four letters. So he takes his index finger and he points it straight up for the letter I. He takes his middle finger and he turns it, he bends it like the letter C. So then you have Jesus, Jesus, abbreviation for Jesus, iota sigma. Then with your ring finger and your thumb, you cross them over each other and so it looks like an X. So you have then the chi, iota sigma chi, and then you take your pinky and you bend it to look like a C as well. What? We're both trying here. I know it's hard. So yeah, so so stick it up, but bend it. So you have ring, uh, index finger straight up, ring finger, uh, middle finger, excuse me, bent to look like a C. <laughs> <laughs> Good try, Father Nathan. You you have the uh, your 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 ring finger and your thumb bent together to look like an X. I can do that one. And then you're you're having trouble with the pinky, aren't you? Having trouble with the pinky. Yeah, keep your index finger up, but you got to bend your pinky to look like a C, like your 
hurts my fingers. <laughs> a lot like another C. So literally what you see in the priest hand as he's blessing you is Iota Sigma Chi Sigma ICXC, the abbreviation for Jesus Christ. So whoever's receiving that blessing knows that they're receiving the blessing of Jesus Christ, not the blessing of the priest who's giving it. When you receive a blessing then, you put three fingers together, your thumb, your index finger, and your middle finger, you just put them together, touch, touch the tips of each, and that symbolizes the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You take your ring finger and your pinky, and you put them together and tuck them into your palm. That symbolizes the Trinity of Christ, God and man. And then when you make the sign of the cross, you do the Father and touch your forehead. You say the Son, and you touch your stomach. I actually read a thing the other day. I just thought you touch your chest. I read this thing that somebody was saying, when you only touch your chest, the cross is upside down because <laughs> your head and then you're only going down to your chest and you shoulder and shoulder. So the longest part of the cross is actually from your head to your chest. So this is, I guess, a big debate in the East. So you're supposed to go, you're supposed to go forehead stomach so that it's longer on the bottom longer part of the cross the than it is on the top. Yep. So forehead stomach and then right shoulder, left shoulder. In the East, we do the right shoulder first. Um, various people have said there are different traditions for this. I reject them all because it just tends to separate the two east from the west. But um, the reason for that is because if the priest in the east and the west, so in the Roman traditions or the Roman rite, Roman churches, um, Roman church really, um, in the west, in the west, and then you have the all the eastern churches in the east, um, the eastern churches all go forehead, stomach, right shoulder, left shoulder. And the reason for that is because in in all the churches, the priest blesses with his hand up, down to his left and his right. So the Roman churches just did what he did. So they go up, down, their left, their right. right. Whereas in the Eastern churches, they followed his hand. So if I'm looking at you and I go up, down, my left, my right, you're going to go, if you're following my hand, you're going to go up, down, your right, your left, as I go to my left, to my right. So in the Eastern churches, they just go to the right shoulder first in order to, in a sense, receiving the blessing as it's coming from the priest to his left to his right. So we go to our from our right to our left. I'm not trying hmm. to be confusing here, but I'm, I'm sure that I am. All right, other couple of other things. Uh, and if you really want to know the history behind these things, we don't have the time. So go find a Byzantine Catholic church and talk to the pastor about it. But we have, when a baby is born, we give them baptism, confirmation, which we call chrismation, and first communion all when they're born. So so infants receive the Eucharist in our yeah. church. That is the ancient, ancient Christian way. We've just retained it over time. Um, so then you you don't really have First Communion as, as a kid. You know, uh, when, they, when they get older, you just have all three of those at the same time, um, including confirmation, which they receive as infants yeah. as well. Those are the three sacraments of initiation that then allow them to receive the other ones. The thing that's funny about that is that then they can go to confession whenever they're yeah. ready to be knowledgeable of their own sin, repentant of their own sin, and be sincere. Um, so I, I've gotten kids as young as like three years old coming to confession because they, they, they're so eloquent. They have their prayers memorized for this, for the ritual, and they're so eloquent about their sorrow for their sin, what their sins are, their sorrow for it, and their sincerity that why not? Why not have a three-year-old come to, come to confession? Yeah. So I've received those graces early. All right. We also have traditionally most of our pastors in our parishes are married. Um, so it's just like the Roman tradition of deacons. You have to be married before you're ordained to the first major order. So you have to be married before you're ordained a deacon. Um, so, But if you do, then you have lots of married priests. And, and in the Eastern traditions, most pastors of parishes, if not all pastors of parishes, are, are married. So I'm kind of the odd one out. You then have the the celibates are the spiritual directors, the celibates are the confessors. The celibates are the ones who deal with somebody's 
private relationship with our Lord, whereas the married pastors are the ones who deal with the spiritual relationship within the community. Huh. So if you want to get married, you go to your pastor. If you want to receive um, you know, baptism or any of the more communal sacraments that the whole community is involved in, you go to your pastor. If you want to receive any of the sacraments or the aspects of the Christian life that deal with my specific, my private relationship with our Lord, then you'd go to the celibates. They're the ones, because of their celibacy and therefore their utter dependence upon God, they, in a sense, can be a mediator through that rela- the relationship they have with Christ that is unmediated, they can be a, a mediator for the person, whether it's in the sacrament of confession or, or being a spiritual director, et cetera. So hmm. the, the monks and the nuns were people's spiritual directors. Those are the ones you went to. And every monk is called father, whether he's a priest or not. And right. every nun is right. called mother. And so you have very much these spiritual fathers and mothers that you go to the monasteries for. So the celibates were in monasteries, living in community there. We're very much about community. The monks of nuns of the community, the community of the parish priest was his family. And so you have these kind of two different aspects of the Christian faith um, that, that we've had. And, and in the United States, that changed. I won't get into the details of it, but now we're back. Pope Francis has now said that Byzantine Catholic priests in the U.S. can ordain as many married men as they want. That that was a restriction put on us 100 years ago, but that's, oh, wow. that's now gone. It was only a restriction in the U.S. Um, we also don't have the filioque, as I, um, as I mentioned before. So those are kind of the, some of the specific things. I'm sure I'll be throwing some other things in as the podcasts go on, just because as it relates to whatever we're talking about. You just rolled through like six topics that you could do a whole podcast on. So if you hear it again, don't be surprised. But, yeah, true, true. But, you know, that's good for me. We need repetition. But I also, there, yeah. there's, that we, you know, I don't think we should ever be searching for podcast topics. Like, there's so no, much we're that not. needs to be covered. We're not, yeah. but they, uh, for them, like, they're, um, yeah, they're, they're going to be informed. We're going to quiz them on Amen. the church right, XC, see how their pinkies are doing. Have you guys ever, by the way, you, you did five years of podcasts before I came on. Did you ever do anything on the Eastern churches? I should have asked you that before. This is Catholic stuff you should know. <laughs> and most Romans have no idea about the Byzantine yeah, or the Eastern Catholic churches. So Maybe. Uh, I think we did some Byzantine or some, I think we did some Eastern saints. Um. Some of my buddies who were listening to the podcast long before I came on would, would say that, that uh, Holy Protection, my parish, somebody, I think John called it, Father John called it uh, your Byzantine girlfriend at one point. Yeah, maybe. So obviously it came up. <laughs> That's right. See, you're on there. During, during the well-known banter. Well, and, uh, let's see here. According according to the statistics, how many how many Byzantine Catholics are there in the United States? I don't have the numbers. I would guess maybe... Two percent of American Catholics. Two okay, percent of American. So we dedicated about two percent of our time to the Byzantine Church. That's great. That's great. <laughs> right. Just to convict you, though, what percentage of American Catholics are contracepting? Like two, two. <laughs> <laughs> and what percentage did you do on contraception, Father Nathan Gobel? That's true. <laughs> wait, how many? But th- wait a second. How many are contracepting? It's way too many. Yes, and then how many? Oh, you're saying that we haven't done it. I'm saying I'm 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 just I'm pulling your leg. Oh, I'm, was... I'm saying if if you're if you're claiming that it's a percentage of what American Come Catholics on, care about, Come on, why you gotta do me like that? Okay, I love you. I'm done. You want to mock my church anymore? Or no, I'm gonna mock yours. Or... I'm not gonna mock it. <laughs> just kidding. It's unless I do my life team. I, I know you love us. Yeah, <laughs> Byzantine life team. Byzantine life team. <laughs> all right, good job. No, it was good. Thank you. We all we're all informed now. Amen. Got it. Amen. Where's the... Let us know if you have any other questions on uh, 
email us, Facebook us, whatever, too. All right. Shout outs. Shout outs. I'll let you go first. So a few weeks ago, our friend Teddy Hamstra invited me to go to the Lions Folk Festival. Um, and I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself into. And I pull up, and it is an absolute torrential downpour. I can't even get out of my car because it's just it's just it's just rip roaring raining. Wow. And um, so then it was an outdoor folk festival, and Father Peter Musset and uh, Teddy Hamster were already inside the venue. So it was like, well, I, I'm not going to go until the, it stops raining, or. I mean, it could rain for a long time, and then I'm just going to have to get out anyways, but I you know, was hoping. So then, anyways, finally, it clears, clear skies. We end up watching uh, our one of our favorite artists, Sufjan Stevens, if you haven't listened. Um, he has a great... Uh, he has a few religious tracks on his, uh, yeah, in his repertoire. So... Um, so we went to the Lions Folk Festival. It was it was amazing. Great venue, beautiful evening. The rain stopped. We watched. What was that name of that asteroid shower or whatever? Perseid. Is that the one supposed to end the world? Perseid Again. meteor shower. I don't know. Okay. Anyways, it was it was so cool. Turns out that one of our podcast listeners was there, oh. and uh, he was asking me like, "Hey, are you saying mass?" And I didn't get back to him, of course. And then all of a sudden. Um, you know, I was like, hey, so what were you doing in Denver? He's like, well, I was at a folk festival. I was like, were you at Salida? Because the Mumford & Sons went down there. And, and he said, no, I was at Lions. I was like, did you go see Sufjan Stevens? And it was amazing. Like, like we were already there. And instead of me, like, you know, responding to, you know, emails oh. or something. And I could have maybe gotten Cleveland bourbon at this thing. The um, Instead, uh, I missed him. So Conrad, Conrad Burry. Uh, he was at the Sufjan show. Cheers to you. Cheers we'll definitely. I'm going to see Sufjan just in case anybody's there next in two weeks. I think on the 27th at the Paramount Theater. So if anybody wants to go, uh, well, you already have to have tickets because I ain't giving you mine. So October 27th, <laughs> Paramount sure Theater. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Sufjan Stevens was there and he's a fan. I wish. Longtime listener. I'd like to do your uh, your opening song for you. Longtime right. listener, first time call. Yeah. All right, uh, shout outs from me. Uh, I got an awesome email from someone who's way too smart to be listening to our podcast. Uh, my sister in law's dad, Stephen Block, he's the, uh, the uh, chair of the music department at UNM down in Albuquerque. And uh, he listens while he jogs. And uh, he listened to the, the Forgiveness podcast and sent me this I'll have to show it to you this amazing ritual because he, he's, he's Jewish background. This amazing ritual that, that the Jews have uh, for their high holy days that, that explains someone's almost like a, a litany of repentances before God and you go through them all so you, you're asking for forgiveness for all these things and you, you go through all of them you're saying I've done all these things and it, it, it then allows you to reflect upon how have I done something as extreme as murder you know which is well, we of course Christians Christ preached that exact thing so so uh, to Stephen Block my uh, beloved sister-in-law's dad um, I love you and uh, thanks for listening and thanks for sending that to me the other day shout out to you all right. Also, from the emails, Eunice He, your friend uh, Melody, says that uh, she's the young adult coordinator for the Diocese of Prince George. Um, no. Which I thought yeah, was in you, Jamaica. You, Eunice, you are the youth young adult coordinator for the Diocese of Prince George. It's like, not in Jamaica. Like, Where's the Diocese of Prince George? And he's like, yeah, it's uh, British Columbia, right? It's British Columbia. Yeah, so welcome, uh, British Columbia listeners, and especially you, Eunice. 
All right, Tim Michael. Hortons. <laughs> Tim Hortons, an avid listener. Highly recommend. <laughs> highly recommend the maple donut. Do not recommend the sour cream donut. Oh, sour cream donut. I went. My I went. I made my inaugural visit to uh, Cincinnati, and there was a there was a Tim Hortons there. So. Okay, and you tried the sour cream donut. Yeah, didn't like it. Didn't like it. All right. Also, Michael Cleary. Um, your friend Nicholas says that you may die from an excessive CYCSYSK binge. I should know that. Catholic W should know binge. I'm yeah. CSYSK binge. So enjoy your binging and please don't die. All right. David Noller from Michigan to Colorado. I often you America's high five. So high five Michigan and everybody in Michigan uh, from uh, especially you, David Noller. Oh, America's high five. I get it. Yeah. And uh, two more. Uh, the Marine Corps, the Marines at Camp Lejeune. Hell uh, yeah. Brianna Archer. We got, I guess we got a lot of listeners at Camp Lejeune. So God bless you guys. Keep doing good things. Heck yeah. And uh, we respect and love you for what you do. Oorah. Thanks for that. Oorah. My dad was a Marine. Really? Yeah. Back in uh, Vietnam. It's going to kill him. The Agent Orange is going to kill him one day, but he's a, he was a Marine. Still is a Marine. Obviously, they are always Marines. And yeah, my brother-in-law, Mark. I know. Mark Hachadik is uh, Semper Fi. He's got it. He's got a little tat. You only see it whenever he golfs. Okay. So uh, yeah, he's got his he's got his Semper Fi. So when my sister told me that she was marrying a Marine, I was like, "Yep, Goebbels just got a couple more points in the old scorebook." <laughs> hey, so how, where does he have it that you only know when he golfs? That's none of your business. <laughs> I was gonna say. I was trying to think about that worked. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tramp stamp, dude. Ah, okay. If, he, if, if he's uh, teeing off, you see it then, yeah. <laughs> no, it's on his ankle. Okay. It's on his ankle. He, wear, he wears the low socks. Okay. All right, and finally, Maya Rose Gardner from the Catholic University. What? Do you know her? Are you kidding me? Bladed birthday request by your mom. Oh, are you kidding me? Hila <laughs> was the one that requested the shout-out? Hila sent it for Maya. <laughs> Well, uh, Ela, um, I actually just got a text from Ela, um, and I was thinking it was one year ago today that we were together um, at the tailgate for the Mullen uh, game, Mullen Columbine, Mullen Columbine game. But now Maya has since graduated. Maya was at the Maya was at the papal gathering. Ah. She was at the, the Mass for Unipero Sarah. Okay. But uh, her son, uh, Ela's son, Kieran, goes to public school. So they were at the public school. All right. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Anything else? Like us on Facebook. Check it out. Hey, who, who, had our, who had our Twitter? I want, I want to get that back up again because I like Twitter I better know, than Facebook. I didn't know we had a Twitter. We did. We used to, and nobody's been updating it. Okay. We'll figure that out. All right. God bless y'all. Love you. We'll see you. Thanks for your time. Bye.